And our job is always going to be something between you and a woman. Always. Luther, listen. Dishonesty. A dishonesty that poisons everything. I think I need to tell you something. Stop talking. This isn't about you, Ethan. And whoever this girl is, you're going to end up messing up her life, too. Don't do it. Jules and I got married two days ago. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Bam! That's a clap. Your clap will self-destruct in five seconds. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to Podcast Part 3, the premiere podcast for all things about movies that came after two other movies. I am Sam. And I am Will. And we are talking this week about a movie that Will hated until he watched it again, and then he liked it. It's Mission well, Impossible 3. <laughs> well, wait, wait, this needs a little clarification. All right, all right, I'm going because... to start. I'm gonna start. We're, this week, all right, and this week, we're talking about... Uh, a movie uh, it's part of a franchise that uh, Will's been on a journey with recently, and I'm looking forward to his thoughts. It's Mission Impossible 3 from 2006, the directorial debut of Podcast Part 3 alum, J.J. Abrams. Uh, it's uh, his best Part 3. <laughs> yes, yes it is. By a By shocking a margin. Wide, wide margin. Remember last week when we were talking about, or two weeks ago, uh, two episodes ago when we were talking about Planet of the Apes and the whole better batting average than Star Wars? Well, yep. uh, stand up, Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, I have a complicated relationship with, uh, with this franchise. I remember seeing the first one in the movie theater, um, opening weekend, and right as the movie was sort of pivoting into its third act, I'm sitting in between my parents, and my dad leans over me to say to my mom, do you have any idea what the fuck is going on? <laughs> the, the first movie came out, uh, it should be noted, 27 years ago. Yeah, um, and then, uh, so I never really revisited it. I remember really liking it, but nothing kind of stuck in my mind except, of course, sort of the, the big sequences, the the Langley heist and the train, um, the train chase sequence. I don't know what you'd call it's, it's it. It's a bullet train showdown. It's yeah. with a helicopter. With a helicopter. And so and I had... exploding gum. And then And because I remember... it's a 90s movie, Jean Reno's in it. Of course. Uh, 90s, 90s genre movie. Well, I mean, it's it should be said, the first Mission Impossible movie is a very... The first two, really, are very, very different animals, both from each other and from everything that's come after. The one that yeah. we're talking about today really is... It is a movie that defined what this franchise would sort of look and feel like. And it's it's evolved a bit since then. There's a lot of stuff in this one that didn't carry over yeah. like his marriage but, but uh but this is sort of the pivot it's where yeah. like things start to get codified into what these movies will eventually become yeah like it's um, these are action action espionage movies with an ensemble team led by tom cruise it's not the second movie where tom cruise is pierce brosnan era james bond and it's not uh like like it's it's like 40% less Hitchcockian than uh, your average De Palma movie like you had in 96 with the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so so I saw 
part two in the theaters, like I think every person did in the summer of 2000. The movie was a big, big deal. Well, because it was was the first John Woo movie that wasn't rated R. And 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 someday we'll do a retrospective on John Woo's Wacky American Adventure, uh, <laughs> 1993 to 2005 or whatever it is, from hard target to paycheck. Yeah, yeah, that would. Uh, yes, that's quite the quite the run. Um, and then I I saw uh, Mission Impossible three with uh, with you actually. We uh, I remember we all saw it in college. Yes, in, that's in right. Hampshire. Um, uh, young, innocent, didn't know we were not like. I mean, all right. So th- there's a, a big, like a lot of things changed from 2000 to 2006, and one of the big ones was Tom Cruise kind of evolved into the beginnings of what we would now call his like final form. Like <laughs> yeah. mid 2000s is, is when all like like sort of weird Tom Cruise really started to come out. Like, this is the same time as he's he's da- he's married to Katie Holmes. He's jumping all, on couches. All the Scientology and- <laughs> stuff is out in the open. Suri just was born. Yeah. Uh, had, like, a full head of hair. Uh, <laughs> all the gay rumors. All the, like, his brother is the father of his child rumors. Right. Like, everything was hanging out. And he was, I think this is... Right about the point where all of that was out, but he was still a big bankable star. And then there's another change from three Mission Impossible three to Ghost Protocol, where he stopped being a big bankable star. Right. And there was a hot second where this franchise looked like it was going to try to just kind of leave him on the side of the road, but it didn't pan <laughs> out. But that we'll we'll get to that. I think guess not a lot of people in this day and age that know the movies really know. Like I don't think it, the show isn't like Star Trek. Where no. it has modern fans that are, oh, oh, well, <laughs> all right. I'm just gonna run through it real quick. Uh, <laughs> the original series was created by Bruce Geller, who was like a your classic mid 20th century TV producer. He actually died fairly young. He died in 1978. Oh, wow. So he's never had any direct involvement with the new movies, and that might explain the first movie. Which I'll, <laughs> hang on one sec. Slow down, everybody. <laughs> The original ran for four se- uh, seven seasons. Uh, it ran for seven seasons uh, from 1966 to 1973. Uh, led for all but the first season by Peter Graves, the great Peter Graves, as Jim Phelps, who was the head of uh, his impossible mission force team of super spies. And they all had different skills. There's the driver. There's the master of disguise, who was Martin Landau initially, and then was Leonard Nimoy. Other actors on the show were uh, like Leslie Ann Warren and Lee Merriweather. Sam Elliott was on the show for a while, you know, ran for a long time uh, and then had a reboot sequel series also led by Peter Graves from 1988 to 1990, which was another 35 episodes. The original was like 171 episodes, really long running series. Wow, I didn't yeah. realize. That no, the, the, it, the, it was around for a while. In the the one in the eighties was uh, was kicking around. Wow. Yeah, the one in the eighties was thirty five episodes. The original was one hundred and seventy one, uh, and you know, considering Star Trek is like less than half that, it's it's interesting to me that it, it, the show just I I I honestly can I can only honestly say I've maybe seen one episode. And I don't yeah. remember anything about it. The most famous thing from the show, and rightfully so, is the greatest theme song in television and movie history. Probably, yeah. in, it's probably the greatest TV theme song. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like top five easily. I'll stack it up against anything else. <laughs> like if you hear the opening of that, the 
you know it's Mission Impossible the same way bow, 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 is Seinfeld. It's that yeah. iconic. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, I remember catching a couple episodes of the show when the, the first movie came out, because that was when it started to come back into syndication. But it wasn't like Star Trek, where it was, seemed to be like always on. No, you know? you're right. It's not. It, it was never like a TV land staple, like Dragnet or uh, yeah. or Gilligan's Island or something like that. Yeah, it was. Ne- it was never on on TV land, and it was never like I remember just Star Trek being on all the time. I mean, and I, I mean, I know that that when we were growing up, there was also you know the Next Generation also was on, but the original series ran a lot when we were kids too. It just doesn't seem like Mission Impossible was in that syndication package, I no, guess. No, it really wasn't, and I've seen some really random shit that was. Like, I've seen more <laughs> episodes of I Spy than I have of Mission right. Impossible. I've seen more episodes of Galactica 80, 81 or whatever <laughs> it was than I have of Mission Impossible, and that show was on for, like, there's as many, there's, it's, it's, it was ran as long as, you know, like, Lost or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um... Now, the, I think another big reason that it's not in the zeitgeist is that I'm sure all of its fans from that era are uh, ran away right after the first movie. Because <laughs> you know how I talk about uh, how I hate when they bring back legacy characters and their horrible burnout failures and no one remembers them? Well, the one thing you can do that's arguably worse than that is to have them turn out to be the villain. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like, remember when everyone thought Kylo Ren was going to turn out to be Luke Skywalker and he right, was the right. bad guy the whole time? No, that's basically what they did in the first Mission Impossible, and it's why Peter Graves didn't want to come back. Yeah, it's so interesting to look at that now um, from, you know, our vantage point of 2023 when we're so mired in franchises. And thinking of that first Mission Impossible movies as a franchise starter, like... It doesn't do anything that you would expect it to do. Like, if you made that movie now, it would totally be Ethan Hunt getting recruited and being brought into the IMF and being, you know, the IMF oh, being and, explained. And, 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 and uh, like, if it was made even, like, five years ago, Leonard Nimoy would show up or Martin right, Landau exactly. would show up, you know. Yeah, and and you'd bring in the old cast as, like, you know, the, the old guard passing on the torch or whatever, and... And no, what they ended up doing is they don't explain shit about IMF or how it works. I mean, you're just like, it's a kind of a part of the CIA, maybe, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it seems to not be beholden to any one organization. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, I think apart from one character, they brought back a lot of the tropes that you get, right. you know, your mission should you choose to accept it. This message will self-destruct in five seconds and lots of masks. Everyone right. wears masks. <laughs> Everyone's wearing masks. Which, uh, in the original, I I remember it being a bigger deal in the original, but I think I just was transposing memories of the second one, where they go mask crazy. No, there's there's so many. (laughs) Part two has so many masks. (laughs) For a a movie that is unbelievably boring, there's a lot of identity switching going on. (laughs) So much. So much. But the thing, so you take Jim Phelps, who is the hero of the original series. He's Captain Kirk. He's, you know, uh, he's James Bond. And in this movie, you turn, you fake out that he's killed, which is going to, would rankle enough fans. And then it turns out he's the villain behind everything. And he's a traitor. And our hero, his protege has to blow him up. Like (laughs) if, if mission impossible was a series from the eighties and that movie came out now and did that, the internet reaction would be nuclear. 
it yeah, would they, be Oppenheimer level like <laughs> ex- devastation. Yeah, the yeah, it would be incredible that the amount of takes that that would generate and the amount of people it would piss off would be amazing. Um, and it's amazing that this movie spawned six other movies. <laughs> It's such a weird franchise starter, you know? Yeah. is And I have to go back. I'd have to look at the numbers, but was it a big success in 96? It was a big... No, it was huge. Oh, yeah, you're right. Number deal. three. Number three. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's only beaten out... It beat out The Rock, uh, and it's just behind Independence Day and Twister, which, yeah. you know, as it should be. That was uh, that was a crazy summer. That was um, a good. Oh, that was a that was a good <laughs> dumb summer. I'm looking at some yeah. of the stuff on here. There's some good dumb shit on here. You got yeah. you got Eraser. You got oh Space, yeah oh yeah. You got Space Jam. You got Star Trek: First Contact. Uh, the Nutty Professor. Um, yeah. Uh, what's like? Is there anything classy in the top ten? Uh, oh, uh, the Birdcage. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but yeah, so it, yeah, the 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 franchise uh, that that this kick started. So I, I I liked to varying degrees, but never really revisited the first three movies. And when the fourth movie came out, and everyone sort of flipped for it, um, I went and saw it, and I was like, eh, it's okay. I I, I, I want to make it clear, none of these movies on like a craft level at the time when I thought they were not bad movies. I just didn't like them. For, start, for, for starters, Will, you're well within your rights to just not care for the Mission Impossible franchise. I, I am not overly protective of it, but I think I'm in the camp of people that felt like these movies filled a fun void that was left by James Bond when James Bond stopped being fun. Right, and I, and, and I, I, I saw that, and then I just I found 5 and 6 to be just sort of more of the same and kind of... I found them to be fine, but then in the run-up to uh, Dead Reckoning come out, coming out, everyone's talking about the Mission Impossible movies. Everyone I respect loves these movies, and I finally said, "All right, I need to revisit them and and maybe and give them, you know, uh, uh, fresh fresh eyes and see what happens." And I came out the other end of watching um, the all the first six, uh, being like, "You know what? These movies are pretty fucking good." <laughs> That's good. You've taken your first step into a larger world. <laughs> or not. I don't know. It's it, They're fun. Here's the thing. They're the really first fun. one I can appreciate more now because I'm a grown-up and I sort of understand what the plot was. Exactly. The yeah. second one is it's not easy to get through, but it's such a product of the year 2000, <laughs> which like the we've talked about before, 2000 and like early 2001 are like the last scream of the 90s. Yeah. And move also every action movie in 2000 wanted to be the Matrix, and it's got <laughs> all that Matrix energy. Like it's, it's like this Mission Impossible Two is an amazing double bill with Swordfish. Yes, yes. It's that and same it's... kind of like no one knows what hacking really is yet. <laughs> lots of birds, lots of shit bullet time, you and know. sort of this acid wash over everything. Yeah, uh, it's this weird. It's like they're trying to do the Matrix acid green but don't they don't want to go that far so everything looks very like the oranges are high are like 
yeah, really like and... like sun sun stroked. I don't even know how to describe yeah, it. Yeah, I mean swordfish more so than this, but also yeah. like it's everyone in the movie is like sort of randomly Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very sweaty. There's like a lot of yeah. I don't know. It's a it's a it's a weird beast, and it's like the beginning's kind of awesome, and the ending's kind of awesome, but the like the middle forty minutes is just nothing happens. Well, just, you put it in the context of the. How your lead has sent his self-destructing message, giving him his mission. The first movie, uh, it's like sort of like clandestine. Like the flight attendant gives Jim Phelps a video on his on the airplane, and you know it's the year nineteen ninety six because it's like a weird little like tiny VHS <laughs> tape that he watches on a screen like the size of a postage stamp on it on the airplane, and then to cover up the smoke from its self-destructing, he just lights up a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> and then in uh, in 2006, it's uh, a disposable camera that's left right. for him, uh, yeah. which is also puts it in a certain time period. But um, uh, in 2000, he's free climbing to the song from Rain Man. Uh, he gets to the top of the cliff and a man in a suit and sunglasses on a helicopter fires a missile at him. It lands in the rocks. He opens the rocks, pulls out a pair of Oakleys. The Oakleys give him his mission and then he throws them at the camera and they and explode, they explode. <laughs> into a, an aggressively remixed version of the theme song. Right, done by Limp Bizkit. Yes, <laughs> I think Limp Bizkit and Moby did versions right. for that soundtrack. Yeah, so that's that's hmm. and uh, you know it's that movie. It really want that one wants to be James Bond. That, like yeah, that, that movie one and that wants to be Bond. Yeah. That era of and that movie wants to be Die Another Day, which is yeah. really sad when you think about it. <laughs> but it's like that one's like. Ethan Hunt is sexy, and they send him in to seduce a jewel thief, and it's like that's just. Ethan Hunt is not sexy. James Bond is sexy, but (laughs) Ethan Hunt and Tom Cruise after, let's say, basically from the moment he had Rene Zellweger at Hello, he stopped being a heartthrob (laughs) and became something else entirely. Like, anything post-Magnolia Tom Cruise is not sexy. Yeah, yeah, it 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 is weird because you can you really can track his his star trajectory through these movies. Uh, you can kind of see him as like sort of the, and especially because he produced all of them too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like you can kind of see where his head's at almost in in each one. Um, but yeah, you you see at the at the, the you know he's like very much a, stip- a typical '90s movie star in the first one. Yeah, like it's clear like this is a star vehicle for him. That's the same. And, that's the same year as Jerry Maguire. That's like the peak right. of '90s Tom Cruise. Yeah, exactly. And then you get to the second one where it's like, yeah, I'm going to make my James Bond. This is going to be my James Bond thing. Like, I'm going to be, this is my franchise. I'm going to be the face of the franchise. I'm an action hero. I'm a sex symbol. And that's the same year as Magnolia. I'm going to be taken seriously as an actor. Right, exactly. And then then you get to this one, which is, it kind of has all of those a little bit, all of those elements, but he's tampering it down you know especially because like the this weirdness. is the one where e- ethan hunt and tom cruise are just trying to be a normal guy normal dude. yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's retired yeah. from the imf and he's just a boring dude that works for the department of transportation and he's married to he's getting married to a nurse and all her friends think he's hot and greg grunberg thinks he's boring <laughs> 
and Aaron Paul is the Jesse the idiot. Pinkman <laughs> is there. It's there. <laughs> just just hanging out. <laughs> just like, I've seen the movie multiple times, and every time I'm like, Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> well, it's so funny because he's just like he's in two scenes, and he's just he's kind of like uh, Brad Pitt's character in True Romance. Almost. I, I like you would think he's yeah. <laughs> You would think, uh, if you were to go back, that, like, he must have been in, like, Felicity or Lost. Like, he's like Greg Grunberg. He must be a J.J. Abrams repertory player. But he's not. He's just... He's clearly... there. Obviously, Aaron Paul can do that part. We know that in hindsight. (laughs) It's just funny. Because it's also, like... You know, there's a couple random cameos, but otherwise it's a stacked cast, like all it's these great movies. cast, yeah. Because this is yeah. the one that also got back to the thing that the first movie has at the beginning, and then the twist is they the whole team is killed off, and the second movie doesn't really have a team. It's right. just Ving Rhames and other guy. And that one Australian guy. It's like Australian guy there. who I... I, I I, I, every time I'm like, okay, this is some guy. I know he's someone, and I, I can't. But no, he's like a firmly an Australian hire. <laughs> it's not like Richard Roxburgh, who's like the villain's henchman, who's in everything. He's right. <laughs> it's just some guy. We're gonna talk about MI2 so much because I watched it in conjunction with this, and I'd forgotten so much. And it I'm is like, such a weird movie. Do Grace Scott as like, how does any? How did? Why did AMF ever hire this guy? He's so clearly evil. <laughs> It's like if if you couldn't if, if Pierce Brosnan was unavailable, so MI6 was like, we'll get Willem Dafoe as your double. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, one of the things that I like about this about Mission Impossible Three, and it's clear that this is coming from J.J. Abrams a little bit, is it kind of because it goes back to the basics about. The being kind of the TV show, it kind of gets into the process of IMF a little bit. It yeah. kind of like the nitty gritty details, like how the masks work and like how 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 they're supposed to operate as a team and all that stuff. And there's actually like training, you know, because at yeah. the beginning of this movie, Ethan and Hunt is a I really is like that the training. I think that's it. some of the best stuff in the movie because obviously, yeah. um, Mission Impossible never wanted to be pure action like James Bond. James Bond when we talk about him, is a shit spy. He's yeah, never yeah. good at staying undercover. But, like, this one I really like because they show what a colossal pain in the ass it is to abduct someone and then double them. Yeah. yeah, And, and it's I mean, an it's, amazing sequence. Yeah, well, and especially because it, it's like they, a lot of the, the techniques they use just on a filmic level is all just sort of in-camera, classic camera tricks. With the masks and everything, I yeah. think those are it's like really fun, especially the the scene where Luther's putting the mask, you know, Ving Rhames putting the mask of Philip Seymour Hoffman on on Tom Cruise, and it does the the thing where the camera spins around, yeah. and and then it gets to the end, and it's 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 just Philip, Philip Seymour, Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman acting as Tom Cruise. Yeah, it's great. And, it's and, really and, great. And to his credit, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think I don't think he gets enough credit. He clearly understood the assignment here. Yes. He's like really yes. underplaying it as the villain, but then every time he has to do like really wacky shit, he's fully on board. Yeah. Uh, 100%. He's he's great. I mean, and what the problem with this series I think is really that the villains are always kind of undercooked. Yeah. Um and he's really like a great villain. Yeah. He's just he's, he's great. great. But he's also like the the movie tries to undercut him, like, in the third act, because then they have the reveal that Billy Crudup's the, the real bad guy, and he just kind of no-sells uh, Owen Davian. It's like, he's a weed. 
we get rid of him, two more pop up in his place. I'm like, right. no, man, yeah. you got to put your villain over. He's like, this is... Well, I mean, and maybe if at the time this franchise had been a little more sort of... Lo- had a long view in mind, maybe they would have kept Philip Seymour often around or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, but... that's what they kind of ended up doing with Sean Harris after the fifth one, right. which was the right thing to do, but it's also, you know, it's not like... And the, the new James Bonds do this too, where they like tried to suddenly have Blofeld be there, but he's right. so it's too little, too late. And the yeah. James Bond, the Daniel Craig James Bond movies, for the most part, have pretty good villains, so it doesn't right. have that issue. And this is also a movie where the first movie you don't know who the villain is until the very end, and then the second right. movie the villain is maybe it's like a full on Snidely Whiplash villain, like he's right too, from from the moment he's on screen. He's, there's he's, too yeah. much of the villain. <laughs> So yeah. I, this was a nice splitting the difference in that you have a villain and you have a device and you don't really need to know more than that because they really want to focus more on the process of of uh, this sort of like heightened reality spy craft and Ethan's relationship with um, Michelle Monaghan. And like, right. you know, is he going to let her in on the secret and can they have a can can will he be able to keep her safe and et cetera. Et can cetera. he have a normal life? Can he can and, he do? And, the and spy no, stuff. he can't because he's Tom Cruise. <laughs> It's, it is. I'm, it is. I'm sorry. I know he's a normal looking dude, but it's no different than Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to, when he played like normal guys in the '90s. It's like I'm sorry, Jamie Lee Cur- Curtis should. The greatest acting she's ever done in her career is acting shocked that this gigantic Teutonic Australian bodybuilder husband of hers is not a computer nerd, but in fact an international super spy. <laughs> He's so boring. She's going to run off with Bill Paxton. Right. Slimy car salesman Bill Paxton. <laughs> uh, yes. No, I, I agree. It is. And it's always strange to watch Tom Cruise try to be normal, especially after his, uh, you know, after the, the 2004 to like 2005 year where like all the Scientology stuff came out. He had that, he did that interview where he, he, talked about like how psychologists are wrong oh, or whatever the one where he's <laughs> clapping a lot and he's laughing <laughs> I um, and then he's jumping on the couch with oprah yeah, he's <laughs> so in love with katie holmes uh <laughs> he um uh and this was also like right before this was war of the worlds where he's like right suburb like just you know normal blue collar normal dad. blue collar deadbeat <laughs> dad it's like he just he i i will say tom cruise is a good actor and when yes. when he's given some great performances in his career, like I would argue, he's the thing that makes Rain Man work, not Dustin Hoffman. Like he's the yeah. one that has to carry the emotional weight of that movie. He's great in Magnolia. He's great in A Few Good Men. He's great in the Mission Impossible movies. But yeah. there's just he's like Nicolas Cage. There's just something that's like a little off about him <laughs> that makes it hard to buy him as any sort of ordinary guy. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, or unless he's playing like a sleaze ball, you know, like kind of like the beginning of Jerry Maguire, where yeah, he's kind of like a but, jerk. But even you know, that's but... like that character is so over the top. It's yeah, like yeah. You, you'll never buy him as like re- like a regular guy thrust into extraordinary. You don't buy it in War of the Worlds, you no, know? No, yeah, yeah, and th- uh, this movie. 
for J.J. Abrams' directorial debut, I think there's like a really cool action that he kind of puts together, um, you know, and very distinctive action. One of the first like j- sequences yeah. using a drone as a weapon, yeah, and the sequence where they rescue Carrie Russell, where they have all the like he sets up all the remote turrets and like you said, they do a really good job of giving everyone on the team something to do. And it's clear what their roles are. And they all are like, you know, there's never, they don't do anything sort of hacky. Like is one of them a traitor? You know, they don't even like, there's no even like red herrings. It's, they do, I don't know. There's just, there's something that's really agreeable about that, that they've carried over a little bit in this, in the subsequent movies. But I think, uh, there's been more and more like interpersonal drama with the team as it's gone right. on. Yeah, well, I mean, and and that was I think one of the smartest things that the series started to do. I mean, aside from Ving Rhames, but bringing back Simon Pegg. Yeah, you know, so like the actual team, like start you follow the team into the next movie too, and that becomes that becomes fun. It it becomes a little bit more interesting because you're like, oh, I'm going to see these characters bounce off each other again in different ways. Um, you know, bringing back Ilsa from from five into six and, and you know, having all of them kind of bounce around each other in different scenarios. Yeah. Identifying in, what, in the movies what works and carrying that over. Like, obviously, 2006, we're right after Shaun of the Dead. Such a smart move to put Simon Pegg in there. Considering they originally it was Ricky Gervais, uh, right? Yeah, it would not have. He, been. he wouldn't have like whatever you think of Ricky Gervais. He would not have worked for that role after that as anything but the guy in the nerd coat, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think putting him in in the fourth one, putting him as a field agent, I think was just really smart. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I think you know as like a part three, I think that this movie is really the pivot point for the series where it starts to morph into what it will become. I mean, there's like certain elements, you know, Bad Robot coming on as a producer and and J.J. Abrams coming on as producer. Um, I think that changes the nature of the series a bit. Um, and and you you know, Michelle Monaghan carries over into a couple diff- a couple movies going forward. They don't just um, drop her completely, which exactly. a lot of movies yeah. would do. Like she's not just a Bond girl where he's not with her in the next movie. Right, yeah, I mean, and, and he, she, you know, she makes a brief appearance in four, and then she has a bigger role in in, uh, in six. But um, so this this one is sort of where the, the the series starts to codify. I mean, I think it's really the after the fourth one where things really start to get going because McQuarrie, Christopher McQuarrie, is brought in to fix the script in for part four. He's uncredited, but that's where it's it's really I think where the series takes its final form. Yeah, but this yeah. is this I, is the pivot point. I think it was, look, I I read a little bit about the development of this one, and, you know, there's a lot of creative differences referenced throughout, (laughs) and I think a lot of that was just as this franchise went on, Tom Cruise found the things and the people he liked to work with. He clearly likes working with Christopher McQuarrie because he's worked with them on Jack Reacher. He worked, I think he was involved with Top Gun Maverick. He yeah. likes working with, like, uh, clearly with Simon Pegg, and he likes working with, you know, the actors that he keeps around. Uh, but, like, this movie had a long oh, uh, yeah. development. Like, it was, David Fincher was attached at first, and <laughs> uh, dro- he dropped out in favor of another film, uh, citing creative differences. And he has a nice quote here that I saw. 
I think the problem with third movies is the people who are financing them are experts on how they should be made and what they should be. At that point, when you own a franchise like that, you want to get rid of any extraneous opinions. <laughs> I wonder who's extraneous I wonder who wanted to get rid of David Fincher's extraneous opinions. <laughs> Um, hmm. Yeah, so then uh, Joe Carnahan was attached. And That's he, right, I remember that. And that was when, uh, I think, Kenneth Branagh was going to play a villain. Carrie Ann Moss and Scarlett Johansson were in it. Whoa. And then he quit at, after a dispute over uh, the film's tone. Tom Cruise then called J.J. Abrams and offered him the directorial role after having binge-watched the first two seasons of Alias. <laughs> You hear all these, like, stories where it's like, yeah, Tom Cruise was up until, like, 4 a.m. watching this one guy's filmography, and then, like, that... (laughs) But, yeah, so he brought on J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams brought on some of his folks. Like, he brought in Kurtzman and Orsi. He brought in Michael Giacchino as composer. There was a whole new cast, and I think this is notable. Paramount gave the movie a green light after Tom Cruise took a pay cut. So we are at the beginning of... Studios losing faith in Tom Cruise, which is right. going to carry I mean, over for the next te- five years or so in Hollywood. Well, right, and 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 the you know the fourth one sort of the, you know they brought in Jeremy Renner, which is clear they set that character up to take over yeah. for Tom Cruise, and you know Tom Cruise whether or not the studio wanted to push Tom Cruise out or Tom Cruise was sort of being like eh, I don't know if I want to keep doing this or whatever but whatever happened I mean obviously because the fourth movie made so much money everyone was like no 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 no, Tom's staying <laughs> yeah well a, a few things happened uh his weirdness elevated again into meme status right <laughs> like 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 I, I don't think we're ever I don't think Tom Cruise can give enough credit to how much Tropic Thunder did for his career. That's true, yeah. Because yeah, it yeah, was yeah. like, oh, he he gets it. He can be funny about himself, you know? Yeah, yeah. He, he'd had, yeah, right up before Ghost Protocol. Between Mission Impossible 3 and Ghost Protocol, he's got three massive failures and Tropic Thunder. He's got Lions for Lambs. Uh, Jesus, I don't even remember that. That's a, It's a Robert Redford movie. Uh, he plays a senator. Uh, Meryl Streep's in it. It's very much about like the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq. Oh, okay. Uh, Valkyrie. And, oh, yeah. And uh, Night and Day. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then after Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol is... Well, he had Rock of Ages, but we can't single him out for that. Um, <laughs> Jack Reacher, which was a surprising success. Oblivion which uh, was his first time with uh, Joseph Kosinski, who he worked with on Top Gun, and then Edge of Tomorrow. Right. And so, like, he's back. Because Edge of Tomorrow comes out. It's not a huge success, but people like it, and they like him in it. And I think he sort of had started to figure out, how do do we sell Tom Cruise to audiences? He's not the young hunk. He's not a funny Chris Pratt type. He's some... He's like a weird, like, like... He's more like a Robert Downey Jr., almost. Yeah. Like, because well, we know, and, everyone knows he's weird and he's crazy now. But we we also find him very charming. And you put him in the right movie, people will root for him and follow him as a hero. And there's also, like, you can see it in the Mission Impossible movies, but also, like, Edge of Tomorrow, where him as a hero, he's a lot more Indiana Jones-like. Do you know what I mean? Like, he screws up. 
He like he you know he's always constantly on his back foot. He's not like the per- like yeah. You watch the second Mission Impossible and he's like the perfect hero. Yeah, that's I think that's like, a good you, point. Yeah, you know, and he's always trying to to you know he's always saving the day. He's always doing the right thing. Whereas you get to you know part four and this movie too, where he's like he's like always just like fucking up and like trying to like you know fix it. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, it's from one three, damn thing after another. From you know? three onward and one for that matter, but from three yeah. onward, three and four and five, he and his team are constantly on the back foot and constantly having to improvise and sort of fly by the seat of their pants. And I think and he's really good at having that like wide eyed like. Like, I'm getting the snot kicked out of me, but I got to keep going. It is very Harrison Ford. It's very yeah. much like the difference between, like, like Chris Pratt in Guardians of the Galaxy, where Star-Lord can can take a beating and is kind of having to be, like, the lovable underdog, versus him in Mission Impossible 2 is, like, Chris Pratt in the Jurassic World movies, where he's yes. a ridiculous character, but the movies want you to think he's, like, effortlessly cool. Yeah, and just awesome. Like, just awesome all the time. Yeah. And, like, no real vulnerabilities or flaws or anything. It's just, he is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it can do anything. It's, uh, and another franchise we'll talk about, I'm sure, soon enough. But this is similar to the line that ha- you have to walk with Johnny Depp. And and, and it, that's, I think, what's so fascinating to watch these movies in a, in a sequence, you know, sort of one after another, Um you know, when binge watching them, basically, is you really do see that evolution of Tom Cruise sort of figuring out, okay, this is what my star is now. Here's how I'm going to deploy it. And then as it sort of goes along, that also comes hand in hand with, I am going to do insane stunts to entertain people as best I can. Yes, well, that's his his passion is in a, in a, in a, in a more like a turning your avocation into your vocation. Harrison Ford, when he's not working on the movies, tries to kill himself with light planes. Tom Cruise is like, why don't I try to kill myself with a light plane for the movie? On screen, yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm going to climb on top of the tallest building in the world. Well, most people were like, oh, I can't ever top that. And Tom Cruise is like, hold my beer, you know. Watch me. I'm yeah. going to hang on to the side of a plane. I'm going to drown myself. <laughs> okay, buddy. Do uh, all these motorcycle stunts, do just, I mean... Like, and he does... Have you seen the production behind-the-scenes stuff for Top Gun Maverick? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah they're yeah. all in those jets. I couldn't, like, fuck no. off. <laughs> I really... It would be one of those things, like, can't we do this in CGI? This seems like a lot of work, guys. It's like if they made uh, Tom Hanks and those guys do all of Apollo 13 doing loops in the Vomit Comet, <laughs> not just, like, choice shots. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and that's the that's his thing. And especially as producer, he's like, I want this to be the most like I want this to be the most entertaining fucking movie I can possibly make it. And the only way to do that is I have to do these death defying stunts. And, and to just, his credit, you know. he's the one that does them. And yeah. he's not like he doesn't have a reputation for creating some sort of unsafe set like, right. you know, and he's, you know, I think he may have flipped out at someone over violating COVID protocols on the last movie, but like yes. he's not, he doesn't have, there's no like famous Christian Bale esque freak out from Tom Cruise. He's, he, I think he's one of those guys. He might be always on. He might be always like a smile and a really overly firm handshake, but it seems like he's, you know, a reasonably professional dude to work with. And, you know, sadly, that has to count for something these days, just being the bare minimum of decent. Yeah. But yeah, yeah he, 
yeah, there is there is this category of leading man, especially action hero leading man. You have classical leading men. You're James Bond actors. You're Brad Pitt. But then you have these guys that are basically like, how do we make this space alien presentable? And that's your Keanu's, your Nicolas Cage, your Johnny Depp, your Tom Cruise. And yeah. it's, it is really, it is like, we have to make them relatable in that they're not infallible, cool without being unlikable, and like fun. And the fun part there is Tom Cruise is going to do the most insane stuff that's meant to play for a big theater audience. And that's... Yeah. Up until this current one, which uh, is, I think, like all movies and theaters right now, suffering from the uh, the wake of the Barbenheimer effect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it was a mistake to sort of put this movie right the week before Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer took all like, his... It took those, all the IMAX get, screens. He ain't giving back <laughs> those IMAX screens. No, sir. Yeah. People want it. <laughs> People are going from Barbie to... Like, I, I gotta say, it is so fun that two movies came out in the same weekend and they both did huge. Because that that is a weird sense of nostalgia for me. Yeah, That yeah. you don't, like, you never, t- tentpole blockbusters never compete with each other anymore. No, I mean, uh, you know, we took, uh, we took Evan to see Elemental uh, the weekend that Oppenheimer and Barbie opened. And, you know... It was, we went to like a, I don't know, 4 p.m. screening or something like that. It was, um, I was shocked at how crowded the movie theater was. And I, like even pre-COVID, like I don't think I'd seen a movie theater that crowded. Um, it was just kind of amazing. And everyone, and there were a bunch of people wearing pink. There were people wearing Barbenheimer shirts. It was like, oh, wow, I remember this feeling. This was cool. Like going to the movie theater. And it's like, and even our elemental screening was packed. It was like people just wanted to go to the movies. It was, they want to go to the nice. movies and they don't want like the same shit. They want to just right. change it yeah. up a little bit. I think if Haunted Mansion had not had come out around fucking Halloween because it's the fucking yeah. Haunted Mansion, it wouldn't have to compete. These movies, these studios need like feel like they got to live and die by the opening weekend, and that's n- you don't have to. People will get around to it. Like, well, and, and that's what's so funny about Elemental is that when it opened, you know, every every like box office report was like, well, it's a bomb. Yeah, and then it just kind of like kept, kept just going. making yeah. money, and people kept going to see it. I mean. The movie's fine. I wouldn't say it's like top tier Pixar, but it's not bad. But it's just it's like it's like people kept going to see it, and it's like, well, maybe we should rethink our marketing plan here, guys. But, and here's <laughs> the thing, though: to make the movie theater going experience fun, something you want to do every week or a couple times a month, it doesn't mean every movie has to be like Doctor Zhivago. It right. just not yeah. every movie has to be the most important movie that's ever come out. It just has to be fun. Like I'm looking at the calendar from 1996. That July, yeah, no one was sharing the weekend with Independence Day, but the last weekend of July in 1996, you had The Adventures of Pinocchio with Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Joe's <laughs> Apartment with Jerry O'Connell, Super Cop, Meet the oh. Cop Who Can't Be Stopped. <laughs> And fucking Kingpin. All of those were in one weekend. And, like, none of those, I'm not saying any, like, all but maybe one of those is is not a great movie. <laughs> but look at that variety. Look what yeah. you could go something, you could just see King, Pinocchio on Sunday afternoon with your family. You go see Kingpin, you know, on Friday night. And if you got time in between, you go check out Super Cop because you like that Jackie Chan. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, it's something that we, we missed, and, it, and it's it's cool. I mean, you know, I know Barbie is sort of, you know, made by a mega corporation too, but it's cool that it's like these movies are sort of, you know, vaguely original and kind of doing their own thing. And then there's, and no, this there's nothing wrong with being a studio movie based on intellectual property if it's right. Clearly, it's resonating with people. Yeah, and and you know, it's one of those. It, and and the Barbenheimer thing is so was so fun to watch because it just was so organic. Everyone was just like, "Huh, that's kind of funny," and it just sort of became a thing. It wasn't like the studios were pushing it. It it just kind of came about on its own, you know. You could have gone to see Big Night, The First Wives Club, and Last Man Standing all in the same weekend. <laughs> Was that that must have been like a September? That was September twentieth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm trying to find like the most ridiculous uh, week. Oh, here we go. Bad Moon, <laughs> Brassed Off, Larger Than Life, and Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. November first, day after Halloween. Whoa, that's a that's a weekend. That's there. a weekend. <laughs> Bad Moon is a fun movie. Have you ever seen it? I've never it? seen it. It's, no, I've never it's seen basically Bad the Moon. good son if Macaulay Culkin was a werewolf and Elijah Wood was the family's German shepherd. <laughs> That's amazing. How have I never heard about this? Like, it's got Michael Paré and Mariel Hemingway, and they are both completely shown up by a really good German shepherd. <laughs> I, I don't even... I remember seeing the, the video. The poster cover, was never, a really striking one. Yeah. And then I think... The effects, it's one of those ones that famously, like, had, like, really great practical effects, and then the studio is, like, putting, like, really shit CG, kind of like American Werewolf in Paris. Right. Uh, But I've seen it, and I think they've restored some of those effects, and they're actually, it's kind of, it's a fun werewolf movie. There's, like, four great werewolf movies, and then there's, like, 20, like, okay werewolf (laughs) movies, and that's one of them. (laughs) It's true. Werewolf movies, uh, there there are not that many good ones. It's there closer are like... to a howling than to a howling to my sister is a werewolf. <laughs> All right. All right. But, I'll... yeah, uh, so back to Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> no, Mission, it's, it is absolutely, this is, you could start the franchise watching the movies here and you have a like a consistent line of like tone and style and creative uh, forces behind the camera from there up until now. Like it was, this is yeah. the one that was like that that it saved the franchise because not, the first one it like was kind of, it's kind of its own thing. And every, no one but Tom Cruise came back for the second one. Tom Cruise and Ving Rhames because Ving <laughs> Rhames is a good bro and he knows a gig when he sees one. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, like, Mission Impossible 2 was a huge hit, but it's, like, that style went out of style about five minutes after the movie came out. Yeah. And this franchise really has lived and died on, like, the bankability of Tom Cruise. It 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 is as quintessentially tied to one actor as any franchise could be. Yeah, I mean, and especially because he's also, you know, producer. So it's like, it, it, uh... It really is like his his thing, and, yeah. and how he, you know, like we said earlier, it's how he sees himself in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, you're never gonna recast Ethan Hunt with a different Ethan Hunt as a character isn't very interesting. There's right. not much to him. Like yeah. I can tell you a million things about James Bond, and I could be talking about any James Bond. This this is there's only one Ethan Hunt. Yeah, 
And he's and he's Tom Cruise, yeah. basically. And he's that, Tom Cruise saving the world. I mean, that's like his deal. And but, he's not yeah. a, and he's and that's not a character that the franchise needs to exist. Like right. someday Mission Impossible will move beyond Ethan Hunt to a new lead or a new ensemble. It'll it'll when he's done with these movies, it'll be quiet for a little bit, and then there's gonna be a TV show again. Because they haven't, <laughs> it's like Charlie's Angels. Every few years, they're gonna try. You know? Yeah. No. I, yeah. I'm. I'm shocked that they hadn't. They haven't tried. But maybe. Maybe Tom Cruise wouldn't let him. No. I. I it, this is his baby. You know. Yeah. It's like it, there's. He has other franchises where he's done sequels, but like Top Gun. There's decades between those two. Jack Reacher's not nearly on this level, uh, yeah. and his. Uh, a Les Grossman spinoff from Tropic Thunder never got off the ground. Which is such a shame. I really wanted that, that Citizen Kane I parody, think, but it's probably for the best. I think we got the perfect <laughs> amount of that character in Tropic Thunder. I think you're probably right. I think it's I better think to just kind of right. quit while you're ahead. <laughs> where's the Where's the key grip? I want you to punch that director in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I, I will fuck you up. Find who out was who that, that against? Was. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a good movie. It is a good movie. Um, speaking of good movies and their opposite, Will, what are you going to do to us next week? All right. So uh, I know I usually choose a bad one. That seems to be my uh, my my deal. So nope, I no 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 I, Will. The desire to pick a good movie is sometimes even more important than actually picking a good movie. <laughs> All right. So... Santa differentiates, and you are going to get gifts at Christmas. <laughs> All right. So, uh, because this franchise, because uh, this franchise reminds me a lot of Jackie Chan in the way it, it sort of creates its action sequences and things, and because we haven't done a Jackie it's Chan co-financed movie, by the Chinese government. Well, that too. <clears throat> but also because we haven't done a Jackie Chan movie, I figure we do Police Story 3, also known as Super Cops. Hey, Super Cops! As, we, as you mentioned earlier. We mentioned earlier. one of the big yeah. hits of 96. I, <laughs> I have never... I've seen Super Cop. Miramax presents Super Cop. <laughs> but I've never seen the actual Police Story 3, so that'll be fun. Yeah, because uh, uh, it's uh, it, like obviously even dubbed over and re-edited by you know an American company, Supercop kicks ass. It's it's I, Jackie Chan and fucking Michelle Yeoh. Right. I mean, and this is this I've I've never seen it, but I've seen Michelle Yeoh drive a motorcycle onto a moving train, mm-hmm. which is pretty fucking incredible. So yeah, it's, 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 speaking of death-defying stunts, <laughs> Tom Cruise doesn't show the blooper reel of all the times it failed at the end of Mission Impossible movies. Jackie Chan does that. You want to see him yes. get clipped in the head by a helicopter rotor? Super cops and credits are the movie for you, pal. <laughs> or or see himself get set on fire at the end of Drunk the Drunken Master. Yes. Too. Yeah. Or um, break his leg and rumble in the Bronx and then have a sock painted to look like his shoe that he can put over the cast so he can keep going on the fucking like hover hoverboat fight. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, Jackie we'll Chan, Jackie Chan, Michelle Yeoh into, into the podcast. All right. And, and I don't uh, know how it works as a sequel. I think the only thing is that he's got, He's well, no, the same. there's 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 a there's does, a continuation of like Maggie Chung's in all of them as yeah, his girlfriend, his, as his long suffering girlfriend. Like, and I've and, seen the first two, like they're out on Criteria, and I've watched them, yeah. you know, in their original form. So it, it, there might be more of like a smooth transition 
in this case. <laughs> so that, that'll be interesting. Yeah. It's another one, you know, like, there's a, much like the Godzilla movies, the original Chinese, like, Hong Kong version is very different than what the American audiences knew yeah. or have known for a long time. Because a lot of these movies still you can't get in their and they're, original yeah, form. really hard to, or, the, you know, they're, they're piecemealing. Like, a lot of the Shaw Brothers movies are finally getting released in mm. the United States, uh, on Blu-ray and stuff, so it means they're they're kind of coming out. Fucking tri- fucking Weinstein's had their claws into the rights for a lot of these too. Yeah, Dragon Dynasty yeah. line for a while there. Yeah. So they yeah. they had hard boiled and the killer for a minute, but I think they finally pried those free. <laughs> so finally, yeah. they can remake the killer. <laughs> they keep trying. Oh, they'll keep try. Trying. They'll, that's one of those ones they'll try, just like. <laughs> Just like every time uh, an American live-action uh, adaptation of an anime fails, I breathe a sigh of relief because we've kicked the live-action Akira down the road a few more years. Like, Cowboy Bebop came out, and it failed miserably. I'm like, fine. Thank God we may not have to deal with live-action Akira in this decade. <laughs> they'll keep trying, by gum. Well, they have they'll to. They'll keep trying. The, it's keep like it's throwing money at that development it's, process. It's like a weird, like, sort of, like, continual loop it's like a hamster wheel it's never gonna go anywhere but it has to keep spinning <laughs> it's like well why don't we try uh taiko itt no jordan peele uh, i don't know how about <laughs> no one <laughs> no i agree i agree but <sighs> how about just make another mission impossible yeah well they're gonna make one of those once the strikes end i suppose yeah yeah well th- those will end someday and uh <laughs> We'll all get to cut to Will and I having to take this episode down because we've been hired to write the new Akira. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, son of a bitch! Written by Alan Smithy and Alan Smithy Jr. (laughs) Just this whole long line of Alan Smithies. Alan Smithy, (laughs) the sixth. pass from one writer to another who didn't want his name on the project. Directed by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Did you see the images from the new Last Airbender series? Yeah, it don't look that different from Shyamalan's I movie. I mean, well, no, because... Like, why just... bother? Yeah, why are you doing this? It's because like, it's, it's fucking cosplay. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it with the... And I think, I don't know where we land, how we got to Mission Impossible from this, except that, like, Tom Cruise is kind of an anime character on a certain <laughs> level. Um, but it's like, what new is there to say? It's like the live-action Disney movie adaptation. Right. It's like the new Little Mermaid and stuff. What is there to say that isn't a reaction to the original or just a pale imitation of it? I don't understand yeah. it. Yeah, Think how much money you could save just going Disney Vault style and re-releasing the old one. Yeah, I, it's yeah, it's one of those things where, especially with anime adaptations, where it's like the general audience is, doesn't care, and the all you're going to end up doing is making the fans mad. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like I don't. It always feels sort of like a, a zero sum game. You know, the anime adaptations that are good are, like, very few and far between and are also made by lunatics. Yeah. So, like... <laughs> and even the ones that are, like, good, it's... They're still very divisive. Like... Yeah, yeah. There are as many people... For all the people that think the Speed Racer movie is good, there are, you know, like you, there's people like <laughs> me that think it looks like shit. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, there's that, or I mean, you either so that you I've need seen somebody... you make a good-looking movie, Wachowskis. What is this shit? <laughs> what is this Shark Dude. Boy and Lava Girl shit? No, no, no! Everything's in like crisp focus. It's supposed to look like the cartoon. It's awesome, like Ang Lee's Hulk. <laughs> yeah, Ang Lee's Hulk is kind of awesome too. It's <laughs> great. Meaning. Don't you narrow your eyes at me? Great meaning, larger, immense. We use it in the pejorative sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, but then you, you or or something like Alita, which I think is also pretty good as far as an adapta- anime adaptation goes. But again, it's one of those things that just like the normies don't care, and everyone else is like, oh, yeah, that's good. the thing. Is like. Sometimes your best hope is to find an audience that really doesn't know the original at all. Exactly. Uh, Case in point, I really liked the new Fright Night, but I've never seen the original Fright Night, and I imagine if I'd seen the original Fright Night, I wouldn't like the new Fright Night quite as much. I... It's the same reason why people love the new Mission Impossibles, but the (laughs) the, a lot of people that knew the old show don't like them as much. Right. Yeah, yeah. I brought it around. You brought it all all back. Pulled the mask off, and it was Mission Impossible (laughs) all along. Uh, All right. uh, Police story three Supercop. Supercop. Meet the cop who can't be stopped. (laughs) That's all I think about with Supercop is that. I know. Just the the trailer for Hot Fuzz. No, yeah. th- that movie is awesome. I'm gonna we're gonna have fun talking about it. We're gonna have fun talking about Jackie Chan. Uh, yeah, we we've we've there. He's got some like for a guy who's been around forever. There are some real bangers in there. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I think the um, not I know you said you've you've watched them, but for anyone out there, the uh, police story, the first two police story movies are streaming on HBO on Max uh, currently. I yeah. think, and I believe original. Chinese version of Police Story 3 is you can rent it or buy it, I or think, buy it on, on, on Apple iTunes. TV and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Cool. All right, then. Uh, and yeah, Jackie Chan, he's uh, he's Splinter now. He's the current That's Splinter. That's right. He's so going to be, it's, yeah. it's topical. Um, <laughs> but until then, uh, Will, uh, always, always a delight. I'm glad you revisited these movies because... You know, obviously they're like they're not. I, I'm not like gonna grab you and shake you and demand why do you hate these movies, but they are a lot of fun, and I'm glad you were they able are. to enjoy them. Yeah, and and you know, I came around on them, and I, I I don't know exactly what my bugaboo was, especially about four, five, and six, which I I feel like I owe an apology to because rewatching them now, I just had a fucking blast. Yeah. So. Four and five are like the real peak for me. I can I watch Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation a lot. They are a lot of fun. The the Rogue Nation has some amazing. Like, the sequence at the opera is oh my god, it's so incredible. good! It's incredible. It's yeah, and everything's I mean, that, a gun. Yeah, everything's a gun. It's amazing, and like it's just an awesome scene with like the scenery moving around. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Um, and like the big close up on the high note. Yeah, like uh, it's it's Brian so De, it, awesome. It, a Hitchcock reference. Brian De Palma right. would be yeah. proud. Yes. Um, um, but yeah, uh, um, this was all, all, always fun. Uh, and folks, uh, I. I imagine you're familiar with these movies, but check them out if you haven't. If you're looking for a fun action romp, you could do a hell of a lot worse. And you could do a hell of a lot worse than our movie next week, which is, of course, uh, Police Story 3 with Jackie Chan. And until then, Will, um, I got nothing. What do you got to say? This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Yay! Splice in the explosion noise here. (laughs) 
or just kind of a little because they just <laughs> they still have to be discreet. What if he chose yeah. to watch that disposable camera in the Seven <laughs> Eleven? Did he have ah! to, did he have to pay for it when he left? Because Billy oh, Crudup probably, just left it on yeah. the thing. Like, sir, you're gonna have to pay for that. <laughs> we don't carry this brand. Price check. <laughs> Go down to Walgreens. I, I was curious. I looked it up. Like, are disposable cameras still a thing? And you can get them on Amazon, but they're really expensive. Really? I have. I think they might be the thing. They don't make very many of them anymore, and, like, hipsters must love them. Where, like, where do you go to get them developed? Like, That's a good can question. You, can a, you still... <laughs> Can you still do that in, like, in, you know, Walgreens or CVS? Film developing. <laughs> Walgreens. Uh, yeah, I think you can mail it in. God, that's, like, such I a I hadn't really, I hadn't thought about that in years. Because even yeah. by the time this movie came out, I think everyone had digital cameras. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And, like, a year later, smartphones were a thing. So right, yeah. so then everyone had a had a camera in their pocket. That's they didn't true. need to go anywhere to develop their pictures. Yeah, now we just let AI take our vacations for us. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, you think about like we both have kids. Imagine, remember, imagine how our parents were to, like they had to really be selective about photos. That's that we right. Take. Yeah, Today cause... we gave the baby a fucking like drumstick from a rotisserie chicken, and she's just gnawing on it like a badger. And <laughs> It's there are seventy five photos on her phone and mine of our baby just, just going blah, 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 <laughs> on a on a like des- desiccated bone of a chicken. Yeah, you, you know you had a you know what? How many pictures could a roll of film take? Twenty five. Twenty four. I feel like yeah. I remember on a, like a, your yeah. garden variety thirty five millimeter roll of film. Yeah. And then you, God help you. If you pressed that button that rewinds it all yeah, up yeah, before you take it all your parents with just back of the hand. <laughs> send it off to the we sent ours off once and they'd been double developed with someone else's pictures. Oh, so there's a bunch yeah, of old people we don't too. recognize <laughs> eating dinner above us at the Magic Kingdom. Oh uh, yeah, that happened to us once too. I can't remember if they like the pictures were important that needed to be developed, but yeah, oh man. Yeah, uh, at some point my folks just got sick of doing it and they let and they bought me a camera and like you take the photos. <laughs> and I was always like I'm going to take a photo. I'm going to win that National Geographic competition and I'm going to I'm going to get a the, that gift card to the National Park store and it's like <sighs> And now I'm a writer. I don't work now with images at all. <laughs> I'm on an audio-only podcast. <laughs> well, until we start uh, start doing these for YouTube, then then uh, I think change. we should go clutch cargo in that case. <laughs> Just a picture of us. <laughs> well, Will, what do you think of Mission Impossible? The Mission Impossible. <laughs> okay. Well, I, what can you add to that? Nothing. Nothing. Really, yeah. All right. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>